0: wish to greet each one in Jesus' name this morning. It is good to be here and it's good to be in the class this morning. I'd like to read a, a passage of Scripture out of 2 Peter. If you open your Bible to Second Peter chapter 2. I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, dyslexia was showing up there a bit. I read the reference backwards. 1 Peter chapter two. Not that I know that I have dyslexia, just in case you wondered. But uh, I'd like to read a, a uh, read down to verse ten. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, and is coming to the Lord. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priest and a holy nation, his own special people that you might proclaim the praises of him, who called you out of the dark, out of darkness into His marvelous light? Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God? Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy? I find this passage very interesting. Um, I, I love this passage. It, it intrigues me, and maybe I could, could call it a favorite of mine. Maybe it's because. I like stone. I like working with stone. I like what it does. Being a builder for my day job, well, I like I, I like I like stone on the job from a gravel entry, gravelled entry to the footings to veneers, stone veneers to uh, stone products in a house. It, there's there's something about stone that's it's long lasting. It's credible. You can rely on it. Um, And so, stone intrigues me. When it talks about us being living stones in this special building, that's pretty pretty neat to me to think about a living stone in the building of of Christ, in the building of of God. Well, this morning I'd like to to look at two different aspects of and I'm going to. I've. I've. I've uh, when you hear this title, you'll understand it's coming from a builder's perspective. Um, and the title of the message is "A Stone in the Building" or "To the Dumpster." And if I were, uh, I thought about shooting from the hip, as you as you would say this morning, and, and doing some drawing up here but uh, I'm not the world's greatest artist and, and I was afraid I'd have to, to uh, interpret my drawing too much to you. So I'll just, I'll just tell you what I was thinking. If you'd see, and keep this in your mind as we go through the message, think of a, of a, of a nice building. A building that's functional, is pleasant to look at. Um, a building that serves its purpose well. And then think of the this building as being in progress. In other words, a building that's being built. Maybe it's a building that's there, that's being added on to because the activities or the use of it is, the needs are increased, so the building needs to serve a larger need, Uh, needs to be enlarged to serve a larger need, whatever. And you see materials out there, you see raw product out there. And on the other side, you see a dumpster with a big BDI or Piedmont on it or whatever. And... uh, written on it, and you know that on one side are materials that are, are going, are designed, or are anticipated to be used in that, in that structure. And on the other side are materials that either have been rejected or there's waste. And, uh, but behind here you see a very pleasant, nice, functional building, one that's in progress, maybe being enlarged, so forth. Does that make an incredible picture? Okay, so like I said, this is from this sermon is from, very much from a builder's perspective. <clears throat> so, a stone in the building or to the dumpster. You know, when I think of a dumpster, I think of a useful bin for, for all your waste or your materials that aren't deemed worth returning or, are thrown into. They're thrown into, they accumulate there, and once the dumpster gets so full that you can't throw any more in and you've packed it down a few times to save hauling, while it goes to the landfill. Also, I, th- I think of when I look at that dumpster, I think of, you know, the, the larger the fuller it is, the more times it has to be taken. Uh, most likely the, likely the slighter the profits. I'm always amazed, for example, how much sheet rot goes into a dumpster. Um, in in uh, in a regular house, we we normally use 500 to 700 pieces, around 500 pieces of sheetrock, and and um, that un, often ends up being about a dumpster full of waste from that. And that's a 30-yard a bin. That's a big dumpster. Um, so you know, the more you put in there, the less the profit. And not only that, but there's tonnage fees and there's hauling and all that. Also think of of uh, materials, a board that's bad that has a knot in it or that's crooked, can't be used. It's not worth returning. The the lumber company's not going to take it back, and uh, so you end up paying for it twice. You end up to have it, you end up paying for it as a product, and then you have to end up paying for it as as di- for disposal as well. Then you have waste and. We always figure in waste because we know that we're not going to use every inch of every product, but you know if there's too much waste, um, if there's a mason or a carpenter that comes to work with a hangover and he cuts up a lot of boards the wrong way or makes mistakes, maybe cuts a a big uh, laminated beam you know at the wrong place, uh, whatever. You can you can easily accumulate uh, waste that that moves into deeply into the profits, and so that for that reason you want skilled laborers, you want skilled um, tradesmen, skilled craftsmen, um, people that know what they're doing with product, so there's not undue waste. But the benefit of the bin at the job is, or the dumpster at the job is, at the end of the job. Um, the product can stand out distinctive from the waste that it generated. In other words, the product's finished, you can have the waste somewhere else it's sold off. And so the beautiful house, the beautiful um, whatever, or the functional building, it can stand apart from all the waste that it, it generated. And it stands there nice. Well. This allegory is not going to be exactly how it works in the kingdom of God, but there are some things there to look at. In the scripture, we read about a place called Gehenna. Well, It's also called the Valley of Hinnom. And uh, this was a place where a lot of waste was taken to. Um... One thing about God is He doesn't create waste. He doesn't see people as waste. And so we have to think of ourselves differently than we see raw materials. We have to think of ourselves as people as a living material, as a living being. And we have a volition, a choice as to where, as to where we end up, where we go. But I'd like to look. I have a picture here of, of that I pulled out of uh, actually the Israelis' tourism uh, website of the Valley of the Hinnom Valley. We read about this in several places in Scripture. I'd like to look at a few of those references. Jeremiah seven. You're welcome to open your Bibles to that. seven thirty-one through and thirty-two. Talks about this place, and they have built the high places of. which is the valley of the son of Hinnom to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire which I did not command nor did it come to my mind therefore behold the days are coming declares the Lord when it will no more be called Topheth Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom but the valley of slaughter for they will burn Topheth because there is no room elsewhere Also in Jeremiah 32-35. And they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now I want to read a little bit of... uh, a, a bit of what what of what they describe here as the valley of Hinnom off of this uh, same Israeli website tourism website. a walk through the green and, and tranquil valley of Hinnom below Jerusalem's old city walls reveals beautiful views of the Holy Land and some dark tales too. It's not easy to find something good to say about the Hinnom Valley in Jerusalem, whose bad press from the biblical days has followed it down through the ages. After all, it was here, right around the corner from the first temple that the people of Judah offered their children to the fire god Molech and to Baal, for which Jeremiah warned them that they would pay with the destruction of the temple in exile. The full name of this low-lying land in the valley of the son of Hinnom, whoever that may be, have been, knowing nothing, about either son or father, we can only conjecture that Hinnom probably bequeathed his son some rather fertile farmland in this valley that surrounds Old Jerusalem on the southwest. The valley's name is, in Hebrew is Je ben Hinnom, or simply Jehinnom, in light of the sacrifices to the fire god. The latter name gave rise to the word Gehenna, which over time became a synonym for hell. Early Jewish sages saw Isaiah 3.19, which says God's fire in Zion and furnace in Jerusalem as a reference to this valley, which they described as the gates of hell. The valley's other biblical name, Topheth, means inferno, adding to its image as a place of eternal torment. On a more positive note, when the people of Judah returned from exile around 538 B.C., according to Nehemiah, they took up living all the way from Beersheba to the Valley of Hinnom. But sadly, the bad news continued even after the Old Testament times. In the New Testament, this was the place where the chief priests bought a potter's field with Judas Iscariot's infamous 30 pieces of silver. Not wanting to keep the money, they decided to use it to buy a burial place for foreigners. That is why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Matthew 27, 6-8 the version of the story in Acts turns out quite gory, with the reward, in mean, quote, with the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language, Ak, ak uh, if I can get this right, that is, field of blood. Bad press or not, the Valley of Hinnom is a big part of the history of Jerusalem and despite what you may imagine from the grim description above, it also makes for, for one of the most picturesque walks you can take in the holy city. So, you get at the Valley of Hinnom was not a was not a great place uh, in Jerusalem. It was known as basically the, the dump place. Um, where these infamous, where you know where Judas was, where his, uh, where he uh, committed suicide. And I just, when I was looking at this, I had to think, you know, if there's a place where I wouldn't want to be associated, it would be with that place. I would much rather be associated if I were in Israel with the with the temple, with the searching out of God, with with knowing God and knowing that i'm part of 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 God's program well, we don't want to in present day as present days Amer- Americans be part of the Hinnom Valley either we don't want to be on that side of the chain you know the raw product not being useful or not being good and um <clears throat> So, I want to look at the other side and then then make some make some uh, observations. look at looking at the stone again. The stone representing here not just a stone, a piece of granite, a piece of stone or concrete or gravel, but rather any material that's useful in the building. First of all, when you think of stone or usefulness uh, to the building, you, you think of of planning and designing that building, making sure that building's going to work and going to serve its purpose. And there, we in in God's building, we have that stone, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the designer. He's the stone that the builders rejected, but then came became the chief, the head, and it's he directs that building. It's a living stone. He's the living stone that directs the other little living stones. So that's the most worthwhile. That's the, how would I say, the imperative, uh, the absolute, uh, you know, it has to be there, most important piece in the building. Without that piece, uh, the building can't exist. It just can't move forward. And then there's a short list of of other things that we need in the building, of other uh, products we need. We need a a footing that's well-placed. We need good framing members, good studs. We need beams. When I look at a a well-built building, I want to see the basement. Or if I'm looking at a building to see if it's well built, I want to see the basement. Or if I'm looking at a plan, I want to see what's below. How's it? How is it? How's it supported? How, what's holding up the walls? What's holding up the the uh, roof? The ceiling? Um, I'm amazed at at what at uh. I, it always it always amazes me looking, let's say, at a bridge even, and seeing a well thought out bridge. Um, Seeing those those members go across and, and you know looking at how how the, the, they're pushing against each other and anchored into the ground, and you, you've got um, you know these long spans, uh, that always that always intrigues me well it's a it's a bit of the same way in, in a building. You've got members that are holding up the rest of your the rest of the uh, framing. And those have to be put in right, all the way down to foundations underneath each one. You have flashings. Without a good flashing, a building can easily destruct in a few years. Water can get into a building, can start rotting out wooden members. And those flashings aren't visible. No one's going to see them. But you sure notice it if they're not there. You need wall coverings. There's plumbing and light fixtures. There's underlayment on the floor. There's roofing. You know, what kind of roof are you going to use? And you just go down there. There's just a lot of members, and I should say a lot of stones in a way, in that building. Um, Utility services. The building's not too much good if it doesn't have a good well. Um, If it doesn't have electricity. And if it doesn't have... Uh, in our day, heat and air and so forth um you need you need a uh, you need utilities you need septic system so you get the idea there's of uh, what i'm thinking of here as a stone it's a piece of material that's usefully employed in the building again, it may be a piece of material that you don't see at the surface, but it's a piece of material if it's not there it's going to be missed it's going to Um, make a difference. There's going to be problems if it's not there. Ephesians 2.19 says, Now therefore you you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. Again, reinforcing this idea of living stones again. Jesus Himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Unlike that raw material, that two by four, that laminated beam, that stone, uh, that concrete, we're different than that. We're alive. And so it was mentioned this morning about Simon the sorcerer. He came in and uh, he wanted, he wanted to you know to have what, what uh, Philip and what Peter had here. and he, it says he became a Christian he was baptized, but he still had issues. He still had bitterness. and I believe God, you know if he, if he let the Lord continue to work in his life and I hope he did, I believe. You know, he was able to to get beyond that, but he wasn't probably the perfect stone right away. Uh, and we're not the perfect stones. We we're regenerated. We're renewed. We're we're made new, and it's a sanctification process that we that we go through. So we're we're unlike that raw material. There, it can be formed and shaped, but when it's done, it's it's pretty much done. Um, we're a living being. We're an organism that grows that can be sanctified and be made more worthwhile. I'd like to read a passage out of Matthew about the talents and take a look at that. Maybe looking at how, thinking more of how God defines waste and worthwhile. matthew 25 fourteen for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country he called his own servants to deliver his goods to them I'm going to move on on through here he gave one the five talents he gave the other one the uh two and then he gave another one one and we knew, we, were, we know that we know the story the one person the one who had the five talents when the lord came back he had Gained another five talents. he had he'd, uh, used those five talents and gained another five. And his Lord told him, well done, you good and faithful servant. You are faithful with, with those five and I'm going to make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he had the other one. He had the two. Same thing here again. He was faithful with those two. The Lord said, well done. I'm going to make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he had this one with one talent. And he came back to him and he said, uh, this, this, this one with the one talent said, Lord, I, need, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown. And this is verse 24. Gathering where you have not scattered seed. I knew you were a hard man. Accusing the Lord here of, of being unfair. You expected me to do the work. Maybe that's what he was telling the Lord. You expected me to do the work. And then you were going to come gather the prophets. And I knew that, I knew you were going to be this way. <clears throat> and, or maybe you were going to come back and scold me or, or uh, whatever, for not having gained like I should have. So I just took this thing, I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground, and look, here's what you have. What you have here is yours. You know, there was, there was no faith or obedience in this, in this uh, one talenter attitude. Uh, there there's no faith, there was no obedience, no following through, only disbelief, disregard. And I had to think, you know, I can relate to that. How many times today in my own life, how many times have I not only just put the Lord's talent to the side, but maybe went beyond that and used it selfishly? Uh, not even leaving the Lord, you know, 10% of His seed money. How many times have I done that maybe went beyond what this one talenter did Um, you see the Lord's response the Lord answered and said to him you wicked and lazy servant you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received my own back with interest so take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents For to every one who has more will be given and he will have abundance but from him who does not have even what he has will be taken away and cast them profitable servant in the outer darkness there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth there can only be anguish for those who choose to despise their creator waste those who have misused their talents or have held them in contempt and Refuse to use them in obedient faith. We for sure don't want to be the one talenter. Maybe God has only given us one talent. That's that's great. But we don't want to have His response. We want to have a different response. So let's look at the worthwhile side. That's the more more, uh, enjoyable side to look at. Because we don't want to end up in the dumpster. We don't want to end up uh, having decided to be of no use. Having made a call to be no use. Rather, we want to choose the other side. Worthwhile, those, who, those saved by grace who are living in obedient faith. I'd like to read Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So we have God's grace saving us through faith. God's side, grace. Our side, faith. Looking to Him. Reaching out to Him. It's the gift of God to on both sides. That we can have faith. And that He's extended grace. Not of works. Not because of what we've done, lest anyone should be boast. For we are His workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. A living stone for Christ Jesus, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has prepared a work for each of us. It might be one work, it might be ten works. But it's not, I don't believe, for us to be concerned about how many works. But rather for us to, to walk in faithful obedience to the Word to express our gratitude to God at all times to the work we do. You know, I don't, I don't think it's, it's uh, really beneficial for us to sit down and say, well, what talents has God given me? What, you know, what am I going to do here now? What, I think it's rather we should, we should uh, study the Word, be, be grateful for what God's done for us, and, and then His Spirit will lead us into the works that He has prepared for us. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We read down through here, these people by faith stepped forward. When the, when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea there, they took a step in faith. When they crossed the Jordan especially, they had to step into that water before it parted. They had to step in by faith. It was, a, it was a, an obedience manifestation of their faith and obedience was the, the manifestation of, of what they believed. Hebrews eleven six without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith Noah being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household of which he condemned the world. Why did he condemn the world? Because his faith brought about obedience and showed that there could be an obedient response to, to God and to his call. And And the world was condemned by that by that show of obedience that, on Noah's part. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to God into the place where, which he would receive as an inheritance. He obeyed. He moved out in faith. he went out not knowing where he was going. A faith that moved him. And we can read on through Hebrews 11 a lot of other examples of faith that moved people to obedience. Moved them ahead. Think of that again as as a living stone in in God's building. Um, Us. Are we moving ahead by faith? Are we moving one step at a time? So a few thoughts here, sobering thoughts for me. So I was looking at these contrasts, so as to speak. You know, where is your walk? Where is my walk taking me? How am I moving as a piece of material in God's economy? Is it taking us toward the Valley of Hinnom? I hope not. Is it taking us toward paganism? Ungodliness? Undue emphasis on worldliness? You know, I look at myself and I, I see, I see the, the propensity there or the, can even feel the desire there to move that direction. You have to look, you know, is, where is my walk taking me? You know, certainly not denial of Christ as was Judas' walk. Then again, look at Judas. What did he sell Christ for? It was for 30 pieces of silver. It was for money. And how many of us, how many times have I, maybe in a very small way, sold Christ for, you know, just not being embarrassed, not not having to uh, to have someone ridicule me or scorn me or think less of me in my own mind. The denial of Christ, a wandering from Christ, a movement toward toward things, toward secularism, or towards an increasing identification with those whose lives, whose lifestyles don't exemplify the way of the cross. And I think that's key there. You know, we're people of... Of, um, we're influenced and we influence and you know we need to look at which way our lives are going what's influencing us what is making a difference in our life because that path um, leads somewhere many have sold many have sold Christ for less silver than did Judas I believe First Timothy six ten for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil which for which for which some have strayed from their faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. In Matthew six twenty four it shows the two paths. You cannot serve two masters. For either will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Mammon. You know this, I. Absolutely, one path leads to the dumpster and to waste. And I'm not saying, um, I'm not exactly saying that's even. Uh, I'm not exactly thinking that is even an eternal light. Although that is the ultimate outcome, the eternal light. But I also think it applies more quickly to to what, how useful we can be in God's economy. Um, you know. I feel sorry for the person who's gone through life um with the wrong objectives in mind. Even if that person at the last minute makes a decision for Christ I've, and, and decides to, you know, makes it to heaven, that last minute you could call it a twelfth hour decision. That I'm good with that. I'm good if God, you know, I'm good to leave that up to God if if even if he's wasted his life. But I just have to think of, you know, how much how much potential is lost there for that person, and how I don't want that to happen in my life or in your life or in any of our children's lives. And yet, how how um, how much potential there is for that to happen? It's so easily for us to get for us to get sidetracked. I don't know, not exactly sure what this means here when it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Uh, the King James says all evil um but there's certainly something there that, that has we have to address that and i'm i'm talking to myself this morning we have to address it in our lives um that that root whatever it is we have to we have to find that because that is a root that i believe that affects all of us whether it's money or the benefits or Jealousy or whatever it is. is, It's a root we need to find and address. It may be different in your life than what it is in mine. But there is the eternal truth and that's this. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through Him might be saved. And that's the key emphasis I'd like to look at here this morning, that the world through Him might be saved. It's not God's will that any man or woman or any of His creation land in the dumpster. You know, in fact, when that's where, can I say that's where we are when we're born? In the Adamic nature? God's will is to pull us out of the dumpster and make us useful material. Make us living stones in His kingdom. That's God's will. He doesn't want us there living in the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. He doesn't want us there in the next life either. Eternally separated from all goodness. And all goodness is from God. God. God's will for us is that we would, by our choice, commit our lives to to useful service in His building. Matthew 25-23, As the Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You know, I don't think our objective as living stones should be well You know, we're going to really do it here. We're going to make our talents really useful. That way God's going to make us rule over many things. Uh, You know, He's going to give us more crowns that way or more jewels in our crowns or gems in our crown. You know, I have a problem with that thought because at the end of the day, it's only by grace that we're saved. And when we come to the judgment seat or to into the presence of our Lord, I think it's for the true Christians, there's only going, only going to be one thing that we'll be thinking is, and that is thank You, Lord, for saving me out of that dumpster and making me a useful stone in Your kingdom, in Your building. So the truth really is, God isn't carrying any one soul to the dumpster. Like me. You know, at the end of the job or as it goes through the job, I like to see a clean work site. Um, you know, if there's pieces of trash laying around, I like to see them gone. I like to see them in the dumpster, away. I like to see that dumpster pull out and see the site get cleaned up. Um, but that's not the way God's operating. He's not here trying to you know pick up anyone that's not useful to Him and throw them in the dumpster. He's rather, you know, reverse. He's actually pulling us out of that miry clay, pulling us out of that that filth and and wanting to redeem us, wash us, renew us, make us a living stone so this morning, I hope this can be a a message of encouragement message of of um of challenge to us, you know, what are we? Are we living stones? Are we really moving in the right direction in God's economy? Are we alive and, uh, and, and being useful? And if we're not, I would encourage you, myself, to look at this seriously. Um, are we by faith being obedient and doing the work that God's called us to? If we're not, it's not too late it's not too early to, to, to move in the right direction, make the right choices, and seek God's will. God bless you.